The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about identity theft and other scams right here in Orange County. And I am so thrilled that we are going to have on... Elizabeth Henderson, who is the assistant district attorney who's been supervising the major fraud unit, the real estate fraud unit, and the high-tech crime unit since March of 2004. And I have to say I'm really excited because I have been so privileged to get to meet her and know her and actually do a presentation with her. And she is a dynamo, very exciting, just really knows her stuff, and it's just been such a pleasure that I just begged her to be on the show, and with her busy time, she was able to make time, so we're really thrilled. Let me tell you a little bit more about her. She's been a member of the Orange County District Attorney's Office since 1988, and she has prosecuted all sorts of variety of cases, including major frauds, gang crimes, felony, just a ton of felony cases, and under her leadership, these units have really grown dramatically. And she, they've increased personnel to fight against financial crimes such as investment schemes, organized identity theft, medical insurance fraud, financial elder abuse, and so much more. And she is recognized in our county as a very strong advocate for victims of white-collar crime. She has just done so many things. She's received a ton of awards for her prosecution work. She's been an instructor for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. She's a member of the Orange County Financial Crimes Investigators Association, and she has just done so much. She speaks regularly about on programs on identity theft, real estate fraud, investment schemes, and just a number of statewide pre- uh, presentations that she's made, and she is just terrific. So you can learn more about the DA in Orange County, and you can learn about Elizabeth Henderson at da.ocgov.com and Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. You are just wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Mari. It's nice to talk to you again. So let's talk about some of these identity theft cases. I know when we did our presentation recently, you told some incredible stories. So um, how do these cases get prosecuted in Orange County anyway? Well, Mari, typically when someone is the victim of an identity theft, they have to report the matter to the police, sometimes because their bank requests that they file a police report, but sometimes because they they do want to get somebody to be held responsible for the crime. So 
they go to the police and then they file a report and then most people will say they never hear anything else about it so they don't know if the case is filed or, or what had happened. And so I was going to tell you a little bit about what actually does happen um, because it's important, I think, for people to know. Um, the police agencies in our county do the investigations in these matters. So when a case gets reported to a police department, you know, the sheriff's department, the Costa Mesa Police Department, they do the actual investigation and bring the case to the DA's office. Um, one of the problems in that area is that really so very few of these cases get filed, and that's, that's unfortunate. Um, and one of the reasons that they don't get filed is because um, we don't have enough information. Um, the victims uh, may not know who the person was who used their identity. Uh, the person may be in another state. Um, their um, time lags, um, all kinds of reasons why the cases don't get uh, invested investigated and then filed. One of the problems that happens in the police department level is that they're just inundated with these cases. I mean, I think the numbers are something like one in five Californians get their identity stolen at some point in time. So when you think of those as little police reports sitting in a box in the police department, that's a lot of cases. You know, that is that is so true. And I remember even when I was evicted back in 1996, um, you know, the one thing that, that helps if victims can get as much information as possible, and and we have a federal law that actually allows victims, and, and if you're listening and you're a victim of identity theft or you know someone who is a victim, you're entitled to get documents of the fraud from, from the uh, banks or from the credit card companies or whoever um, you were defrauded by in you know in that in that company you're allowed to get the application and all the documents of the fraud and also get those documents for your law enforcement agency so they can do it without they can get that without a subpoena and if that happens then they have enough stuff that they can investigate and then they can bring it to the DA right well that's really important um, actually because the cases um, that get investigated are the cases where you have a clue. In other words, where the police detective can look at it and say, hey, I can, I can maybe solve this case. And so one of the things that, that victims can do in terms of these things is a lot of times you may have an idea who, uh, who stole it, uh, your identity. You may have an idea, you know, where uh, something was compromised. For instance, um, you might have um, your wallet may have been taken at the gym. Right. Uh, and so you've got an idea where it occurred, you know, um, if there was anybody that would have had access to that area. And it's really good when you talk to the police in this instance if you tell them those things. Um, also, you, you might be uh, reporting the matter to the police on, let's say, the 15th of the month. And on the 25th of the month, you get a credit card statement that shows other transactions. You know, it's really important for a victim at that point in time to, to send those transactions on to the police department using the, the number, the, what we call a DR number that the police have identifying the case. So the more information that a police detective has makes that case come to the to the front of the line, basically. Right, because um, they're so overwhelmed with all these cases. Yeah, yeah and then, you, really, there are a good number of cases where the person is somebody you know. Um, it's not uncommon to see situations where it's a caregiver or a granddaughter or a... Um, a neighbor, um, that kind of thing. And so in those instances, if you have a reason to believe that, that there's a person that may have, have taken your identity or had access to your identity, it's really good um, for a victim to tell the police that so that they can focus their investigation on you know, likely candidates. Right, and they can look at their credit reports and see where there were inquiries 
that maybe started get you know getting a loan or a mortgage or some health care. So the more that they can do and bring it to law enforcement, the easier it is for law enforcement, and the more likely they're willing to investigate. So let's say that I, yeah, I, go ahead. Uh, there's one more thing I was going to say is sometimes there's a particular type of transaction that's easier to solve. There are check cases occasionally where somebody is using. Uh, a check. Let's say, for instance, you've uh, ordered checks and somebody intercepted them and is using them. Um, there's sometimes places where they're going to require a fingerprint, and of course, then you've got uh, you know a good chance of solving those kinds of cases. So you have to look at each case individually. But you know the the best cases for the police to work on are cases where they've got some handle, they've got somewhere they can start, rather than you know you're in Florida and the um, the cases uh, in California, and, and there's a whole big uh, part of the country between which that person could be that stole your identity. Exactly. So so all of these things make this crime is a really tough one because you could be anywhere in the world and steal somebody's identity, right? Oh, yeah. Um, we have a number of cases that we've been working on over the past couple of years involving um, hackers that are um, in these shadowy online hacker chat rooms. And the cases we've been working on have involved people in Eastern Europe where they're sitting in these internet cafes and hacking into com- computer data, and they're taking identities, but those identities are being converted into use. I mean, you you have an identity, you have to do something with it. So it goes to a person who can actually make something out of it, make a credit card, encode a strip, um, you know, make a driver's license. You have to make that uh, in a form that is passable. And the cases that we've had involved, we had a ca- case actually recently where somebody got sentenced to like 15 years in prison, in which a hacker was purchasing ID information on these hacker chat rooms, and the credit cards were there manufactured here in Orange County, and they were used at high-end stores by runners who would purchase expensive um, merchandise that can be sold on eBay, like uh, expensive watches, um, expensive uh, handbags, jewelry, those types of things, and they were sold on eBay. And so um, the case that we had involved millions of dollars of, uh, of these purchases. Wow. So it sounds like you have some great successes at the Orange County District Attorney's Office. So how, how do you actually do these cases, and, and how successful can they be? Well, it depends on the case. One of the, one of the cases that we focus uh, very heavily on are large identity theft ring cases because they're a big problem, and um, the amount of dollar loss in those cases in, is enormous. So um, we concentrate a lot of efforts in these cases because these are actually – organized criminal activities. They run almost like businesses. It's, it's kind of scary, but um, they have almost a management structure in which uh, there's a person who obtains the uh, identity information, there's a person who converts it into usable form, and then there's um, runners who go out and, and either uh, use the, the credit cards or, or withdraw money from ATMs, that type of thing. So we did a case in Orange County in which we had uh, 20 defendants. It was run like a business. Uh, the female that ran the business was named Tina Tran, and she got 15 years in state prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but she um, purchased identities from insiders who worked at mortgage companies, and that, that's a big problem. Um, one of the uh, areas that uh, individuals are very concerned about is um, who has your information. And, you know, if you're going to buy a home, you've got to give a lot of information to the mortgage company. And so individuals at a couple of mortgage companies compromise those identities by selling them. And, and your, portfolio, yeah, excuse me, your portfolio has some value. So if you have really good credit and you're applying for a mortgage, 
it's possible that somebody there could could sell your identity in order to uh, to make money themselves. You know, I interviewed an identity thief a couple of years ago, Ron Hemphill, who did time, and then he became, you know, he wrote a book and he became a, uh, you know, an FBI and not informant, but he was helping the FBI. So he told me that he would go into banks and go to tellers and go to managers and give $10,000 to get the portfolios of their top people and get their, their account numbers and just steal money out of their accounts. And then, of course, no one really knew where it came from. And, you know, the, the actual collector or, gave, or the person who gave them the, him the information um, could just continue working and just have, you know, an extra 10000 here, an extra 10000 there. Have you seen that kind of stuff, too? Um, we've seen that in a lot of our big identity theft ring cases because it requires an awful lot of identities to keep uh, the money flowing through these uh, organized business um, criminal rings. And in those instances, they have to um, look for specific people. I mean, on, on a low-tech level, there's the person who's a you know small-time drug user who's working in some sort of a small office, whether it's a medical office or a um, accountant's office where there would be identifiable information on, on people. Um, one case we had uh, several years ago involved an IT person who worked at a large um, pet insurance company, and that person um, compromised, oh, I forget, something like uh, 50,000 um, credit card numbers. Mm. And so th- the victims were people who would have been paying their you know pet insurance premiums. Right. So, um, so, yes, that's a big problem. And so um, companies, I think, have a role to play in making sure that the uh, identities and confidential information is safeguarded in some way, and that is, of course, you know, encryption. We had, we had a terrifying case several years ago in which um, the, um, there was an intern from a, a college who was also a criminal and uh, was, on, was on probation for a, a, a crime, but uh, it didn't get picked up. And he got a job as an intern at the uh, Veterans Administration, and uh, and when and he was studying computer programming, and so he was in doing computer stuff, and he downloaded on a thumb drive a list of um, veterans who had their who had prosthetic limbs, uh-huh. and so um, and it, it had all kinds of personal identifying information from their addresses to their credit card numbers to their dates of birth and social security numbers, mm. and so. Um, Fortunately, he was captured doing a smaller level crime, uh, like he was running a uh, some information through a, um, a jewelry store somewhere here in Orange County. Huh. And uh, when he was arrested, he had that thumb drive on his person. But I mean, that's that's really scary. Yeah, it's it's very scary. So big companies and and the government all have a role to play in helping to safeguard identity. Exactly. So. You know, when you, I remember when you did your, your uh, PowerPoint and you showed these elaborate corporate structures, what it must be hard to find all the people in the rings. I know you said it took several years, right? Well, t- why don't we talk about that? It, that the, you know, the ringleader isn't always known to the various runners and the collectors, right? How does it tell how that works? That's amazing. Well, it's a, it's a compartmentalized need to know type situation in which. The person at the top who's running the business actually hires supervisors, and the supervisors supervise the people who go out and use the uh, credit cards. And let's say they're using them in an ATM. We had a case. um, Part of it is still ongoing, but um, part of the case has been completed, in which there was a group of Eastern European identity thieves, 
And uh, their particular thing is they, they started out doing skimmers on gas pumps, and they would put them inside the gas pump so it would skim the identity and the uh, uh, PIN numbers of people who were purchasing gas with an ATM card. Right. And then they would take the ATM cards, and then they would go to a bank, and they would use a, 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 fa- a false, a phony credit card, and they'd put that into the bank and collect. Mm. So um, in one instance, and the way we actually broke this case, it was random. Um, there was a janitor who was going to work about 5 o'clock in the morning, and he saw a guy standing outside a bank at an ATM machine pumping cards into the ATM machine. And he flagged down a, a passerby that was a sheriff's deputy. And it ended up that the person had all these credit cards from, from victims and ATM numbers primarily. And there was $80,000 in cash in his hands. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> you can very quickly commit a big crime. But the person who was doing that happened to be a higher-level person than was typical. Mm. And he was training a new employee in the art of identity theft. And so um, so we got <laughs> higher up that food chain with that one case very wow. quickly. Wow. So, how so it's long... a very profitable business, unfortunately. Yeah, it is, because it's you don't have to face your victim. You know, unlike when you think of burglary or, or something like that, you have to face your victim. Here, you can just go ahead and use cards or go online. And, you know, how about these eight, these ACH transfers, these electronic transfers? Are you seeing more of this kind of stuff within banks where there is actual electronic transfers out of people's accounts? Um, I think it's happening more and more as more of our, our business is being conducted on the Internet. And the same insiders that could work at a, a dentist's office or in a low-tech level can also work at a high-tech level at a company that is processing a large amount of uh, transactions, mm-hmm. whether it's a bank or whether it's a, an online retailer that deals in some sort of uh, electronic transactions. Now, you say that you, you spend most of your time on these large rings because you're, you're actually getting more bang for your buck, more of it's, you know, it's so, you, know, you can help more people that way. So how long does it take to investigate this when, for example, you've got this, the ringleader that gets these supervisors and then these other people, do they, you know, if you catch a low-level guy, do they often even know who the higher-level guys are? They may not. And so a lot of times in fraud, we tend to trail the money. We tend to look for where the money has gone. And we have a number of tools at our disposal to try to figure out if there had been unusual transactions. But it takes a while sometimes. And in many cases, you don't get beyond that initial runner who's there doing a transaction because you don't know who it is above them that has, has authorized the, the, the purchases. Right. So then when, when you have the collector, let's say the person inside, like you said, like an insurance company or a mortgage company or a bank, um, how often are you able to get the collector? The, the person who's just getting paid off by the, the ring? Not all that often. In the Tina Tran case that we did several years ago, we actually prosecuted two of the collectors who worked at the mortgage companies. And in that particular instance, um, both of them got, I think, at least eight years in prison for, the, for what they did. But they were taking a, a good uh, portfolio on a um, credit-worthy person who was involved in a real estate transaction, and they were selling that. You could sell one of those for up to five or $600. Uh-huh. So how did, you, how did you get them? They were selling to, like, maybe an informant, or, or who were they selling to? Somebody that... that... Well, some... Go ahead. Sometimes you get information from, um, obviously, other people that have been arrested. Um, in, in certain cases, you get information because it, you can trace a bank, a bank transaction. Somebody gets paid 
electronically, and then you can trace to where that occurred. Oh. And that's in this case, that's what we were able to do, that they were paid for their um, oh. compromising the information. So, so what did you have to do? In every you... case, it's different, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. so if you, if you would know, if you would suspect someone to be a collector, would you just have, you'd have to subpoena their, their bank records to see if, um, if they got some transfers? Is that how you did it? Um, I can't remember exactly the details, and I, I can't reveal kind of the investigative okay. uh, techniques that we use right. in some of those cases. Right, but, right. Um, but we are very actively interested in, in the entire structure. In other words, it's not enough to just pick off what some people call the low-lying fruit, the runner who's going into the store, who's oftentimes a drug dealer doing this you know, for a bit of money. But you really want to make sure that when we can, that we identify the other people in that, uh, in that chain. Yes. And when you and, did that, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. And we make an effort to um, hold them accountable. You know, Elizabeth, when you did that Tina Tran case, I remember you had this incredible, elaborate corporate structure. You were able to get everybody in that whole corporate structure. That was amazing. How long did it take you guys to do that case? Well, we had a really fine investigator for our office doing that case and working with the police departments uh, in order to to track these people down. And so it did take us... um, probably close to a year to complete the investigation and then several years to to complete the prosecution in the case. Yeah, and to get all those people, that was just amazing because it it seemed like it would be hard since one didn't know the other and and you got them to kind of reveal who the other people were. uh... Yeah, it's pretty hard, but... You know, sometimes you get a lucky break, and that leads to other things. And, and, you know, sometimes it's just hard work slogging through paperwork. So that's our job. You know, we're glad to do it. And we do want to do these cases because we do see the economic damage that they do. Yes. How about a medical identity theft? That's growing, too, isn't it? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I can, actually. Um, We are um, interested and active in the area of, of medical identity theft. Um, the typical cases that we have seen uh, so far tend to be cases in which the victims are um, Medicare recipients, and somebody gets a hold of their Medicare number, and that could be through a, a dental office or a doctor's office or you know some other medical type situation. And what happens is that they actually don't know what's happened to them. Um, somebody orders uh, durable medical equipment, you know, canes, um, various types of devices from somebody, a, a doctor signs on it, and the victim never actually sees it. The Medicare recipient never actually sees the merchandise since it's shipped to another location, or right. it's never shipped at all. And so in those situations, you might be a victim of uh, identity theft in a medical sense uh, without ever really knowing it. The problem occurs when the victim is actually um, getting some sort of medical treatment, and that that medical treatment is essentially superimposed on your own medical records. So if if they've had a surgery or a treatment, that could affect what happens to you when you next go into the doctor. So we did a really interesting um, medical identity theft case several years ago in which a victim was a, lived in an apartment complex, and another person, the defendant, used the victim's identity um, to go to the hospital and have a baby. Mm. And um, it was really difficult and unusual in this instance that the uh, defendant was a person who was a drug uh, addicted person and the baby was born addicted to methamphetamine. Oh my goodness. And so the social services department as is normal gets called out in those situations and they took custody of that infant. But in looking at the records they also went back to the to our real victim's house and um took her two young children into care 
uh, at Orangewood because they believed that these children were also at risk. And so it was, it was terrifying for this woman who's had her children taken from her and, and taken into the, into the Orangewood Center. It took a couple of days to get the whole thing straightened out. So it can be really insidious. Right, and she didn't know that she was a victim of medical identity theft until this happened? Until the social services knocked on her door and took her children. Oh, my gosh. And so that was just terrifying for her. Oh, and the person in the case ended up going to prison for seven years, so that was that was good. But I worry about these kinds of types of cases on a larger scale in the future as identities become more and more available to others. Exactly. And when you think of, you know, the diagnosis can be wrong or the blood, you know, the, the, the type of blood could be wrong that could kill you. And, and I have one right now I'm going to be dealing in Orange County with uh, the issues because my my client was a victim of medical identity theft and so her whole file got mixed up with someone else, and it makes her look like she's a drug addict, and she's not. And so... This, yeah, so, I mean, this, yeah. I feel so sorry for this poor victim in this case, because, I mean, how, how terrifying is that, that your children are taken from you, like, for no reason, you know, Absolutely. and you don't know why. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it's good that they found the real person. I mean, I would think that... Um, they Did they prove it by blood test, or, or how did they do it? The, they... You know, did the well, hospital... they have the child. They have oh. the child of our defendant, oh, uh, so the, they... the infant in, in, in custody with the Social Services Department. So when that person recontacted, uh, they were able to determine, obviously, that it was not our, our victim. Uh, oh, in the right, case. right. So she was looking for her baby. So she's the yeah. one, actually, that let it be known. Interesting. A lot of people don't realize that, that there is business identity theft, too. And, and in our state, you act, you can actually get a police report for business identity theft now. So what about that? Are you seeing a lot more of that? Um, yes. not. I don't think not as much as is out there. I'm not sure all businesses report it. But we've had several cases in the last couple of years where somebody impersonates a business. And this is actually um, how, how it worked for them, is that they, be, they set up a website, like a mirror type of website, and then they go out and they take out lines of credit based on the credit report from the original business. And then, of course, they spend the money. So um, the bad guy spends the money and, you know, the victim business loses out. Also, I think the other side of that problem is is there's an identity theft that can occur online when you set up a mirror site and, you know, you pretend you're a, a retailer of some sort and somebody logs on thinking they're purchasing something from you um, from what looks like a legitimate web page. And then actually they're not. There's somebody's collecting their identity for other uh, purposes and, and uh, eventually theft. Right, and then of course, then they they come against the the real business owner and say, "Why didn't you send me that?" They can right, go after and so them. they say, "What? What do you mean?" And yeah. So, um, we did have one case, though, actually, in which somebody did go out and impersonate a business, had business cards printed, went out and talked to clients, took out credit lines, and that person stole like upwards of five hundred thousand dollars from from the business, and so, huh. um, in in the business was on the hook for all the the. Uh, uh, transactions, the the loan transactions that were taken out by the uh, the defendant. Oh my gosh, were they able to to prove that they were victims of identity theft? Or? Yeah, eventually, what happened is we were able to to get enough evidence to prosecute the the, the individual for um, the identity theft uh, on a business identity theft. Right. I had a, a client from Northern California who um, somebody went in and you know the routing number and the account number on the checking account can be used to create new checks. And so they, they took $40,000 out of his business account just by using the account number and the routing number and making up new checks. And so they were that was another form of business identity, that pretending to be him and just stealing the money out of the bank. 
So yeah, we had a case similar to that several years ago in which a a female used uh, an, a business account and she washed the check and she actually um, created a check that she then reproduced it on a computer. And she took the check to a number of, um, if I remember, it was like Target stores, and she bought large dollar uh, gift cards. Mm. And so um, she the, then she'd write, she'd use this business check for a business that actually existed, but it was not their routing number. And uh, she would get the uh, cards and she would sell them on eBay. <laughs> and so she ran up. It was a Christmas time thing, and she ran up in the range of like. Five or six hundred thousand dollars on these checks in like two or three weeks. Oh so it was really, um, it was really scary. And the business got pretty scared when they got calls from people saying, "Hey, you, you know, you bounced a check at Target for fifteen hundred dollars." Oh my gosh! Well, we are just, we are just out of time now. And you are just, thank goodness, you're doing all the great work that you're doing. I know you're a wonderful. Uh, prosecutor, and I know you care about all these issues, so we want to thank you so much, Elizabeth Henderson, for all the great work that you do in our Orange County District Attorney's Office. Thanks, Mari. We'll have you back again, okay? Okay, I look forward to it. All right, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.